You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Psalm chapter 8 for the opening of our time together this morning. Psalm chapter 8. We are carrying on in our sermon series through the doctrinal statement that we have adopted, and we are now in point three on the human condition. But we will read Psalm 8 to kind of get us kicked off and started. Psalm chapter 8, the title, How Majestic Is Your Name, a Psalm of David. Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, In all the earth, you have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So why are we the way that we are. You ever stop and just ask the question, what is wrong with all you people? You ever say that? I mean, there's a, there's a coffee mug out there um, by one of my favorite theologians who's now gone to be with the Lord, R.C. Sproul, and there's a famous meme of him that he was at a question and answer and uh, at a conference and a panel discussion, and they asked a question, and they turned it over to him, and he pauses, and he just says, What's wrong with you people? And just add, there's a coffee mug out there. I would like to get one. But what's wrong with you people? Sometimes you just want to ask the question, what is wrong with everyone? What is wrong with you people? Don't you find yourself asking that question sometimes? It's interesting as, as we have all this political heat that's going on. And this is not where I'm going to get political, but just as an object lesson, uh, as an illustration. All the heat that's going on in our political system and it's incredible disorder and just people are just going at each other's throats, you can see how this reality, this Christian view of the human condition influenced the divided nature of our government. Like there's an illustration here of when our forefathers, we we live in America, if you're watching this online, you don't know this, we live in the United States of America, and at our founding, they had an understanding of human nature such that they made a divided government. We have the three branches of government, right? The judicial, the executive, and the legislative branches of government. And they divided that power up. Now, why? 
Why, why did they do that? Well, they had this understanding. It doesn't take many days in this world to learn that there are wicked people out there. And that, honestly, everyone at some point has some shocking wickedness to them. That even our own selves at times, we can march along for months and months and months and, boy, be really impressed with ourselves and then do something and think, why in the world did I do that? What's wrong with me? You ever walk away from a conversation with someone and you're like, why did I say, like, I was intentionally mean there and don't even know why I was mean in this conversation? That we just surprise ourselves. We, it doesn't take long to figure out that there are people who will do anything to gain an advantage. And then once they've gained an advantage, will do anything they can to just up that advantage. And so at our founding, they, uh, this understanding, we've got to divide the power because humanity has got something wrong. And so there's checks and balances that have to be put in place. Whether they're working well or not, we're not going to get into that. But they, they, they put in checks and balances because of this reality, there's a problem with humanity. Something is going wrong. Left to ourselves, we are not producing utopia. You know, utopia where everything's just this is euphoric, wonderful. We, we thought we could educate ourselves into a utopia. We thought if we could just learn enough stuff that finally, with all of our great advances in learning, we would produce this exalted man. Well, we, I think it's easy to say we are the most technological, technologically advanced we've ever been. And are we better people for it? No, <laughs> the, it, the, the greater uh, advances in technology has just led to a greater wickedness in many ways. So we, no matter what kind of system we work to put in place, when humanity is involved in it, it always devolves. There's, the, the flaws inevitably begin to show. Something is going on with humanity. We emphasize with the psalm writer there in Psalm 8 when he says, Who is man that God would be mindful of us? Look at when our hands touch and we ruin. Yet, yet God has crowned us with glory and honor. Who is man that God would give us a second thought? And so with that reality, we have to ask, what in the world is going on? Why? Why are we like this? And this is where your doctrine of man will really come in and, and, and help you out here. This is where our doctrine of humanity comes into play. Now, I'm going to give a spoiler alert right up front in case you fall asleep and miss the rest of this service or if you log off. Here's the, here's the spoiler alert. This is what the message boils down to. It could be, it could be summed, our doctrine of man could be summed up like this. We're no good, but Jesus is. We're no good, but Jesus is, all right? Now, that might offend you, okay? Because you just showed up. You think, Darren, I bothered to get out of bed and get all gussied up and dressed up and come into church, and I sit down, and what you tell me is you're no good. Now, you watching online, it was much easier just to click on that. These people, we know, but, but either way, I bothered to click online, and all you're going to tell me is you're no good. Well, that might offend you, but if you disagree, then I really need you to listen, if you disagree with this statement, the first part especially, you're no good. I really need you to listen. I'm doing you a favor by telling you the truth. You're a mess because you are what the Bible calls a sinner. 
You are a mess because you are what the Bible calls a sinner. And it's a hurtful thing to admit. It is an offensive thing to admit that I am a sinner, that I am a transgressor, that there is a righteous law out there, there is a standard of good, and I don't meet it. I don't meet it. There's God's, I mean, if you think about it, if you take five minutes to think about this, Think about a holy God who has a righteous standard. Okay, set that aside. But, but, but right now, God, God is this holy and righteous God. He has a standard of righteousness. It's perfection. Okay? Over here, let's just talk about your own self. You have a standard of what the right thing to do is. And you look around at the world and you say people should be like this, like this, like this, like this. And how often do you fail at your own standard of goodness? How often do you fail your own? You, you say... People should not lie. I don't want to be lied to ever. And then you go out and you tell little lies. You violate the very thing you say others shouldn't do. We, and that's one example. But we have, now imagine you violate your own standards. Imagine the standard of a holy, perfect God. And you think you match that? We, we don't. It's a hurtful thing to admit but it's not nearly as hurtful as pretending that it isn't true. Because once you can admit this, once you can, can sit underneath the teaching of Scripture that you are a sinner, once you can admit this and confess it, it is from there that you now have ears to hear the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, when I say you're no good but Jesus is, it is not that you are incapable of doing anything good. This isn't that you're all as wicked as you could be. It's all, everything's terrible and no one has any good whatsoever. No, not at all. And in fact, it is a mercy of God. We call it common grace that we aren't worse than we actually are. That God has a restraining hand and that people, we do do good things. It is, you do are nice to people. We are forgiving at times. We are merciful. We are gracious. We do smile. We do greet each other. We do help out those who are needy. We do good things at times. This isn't to say that you're incapable of doing good or that you're as bad as you possibly can be. But it is saying that we are, you are, I am, sick with sin all the way through. I mean, a person who has a disease might be able to go and do many things a healthy person can do, but it doesn't negate the fact that they have a cancer or a sickness growing on the inside of them. And that is what sin is. And so with that, I want to read to you our third point in this doctrinal statement we've adopted on the human condition. This is point three in your doctrinal statement. It says this, we believe that God created Adam and Eve in his image, but they sinned when tempted by Satan. In union with Adam, human beings are sinners by nature and by choice, alienated from God and under his wrath. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued reconciled and renewed. End uh, paragraph on the human condition. 
So the first point in that doctrinal statement that I want us to notice, and we must get squared in our mind, is that that first half of the sentence, it's not very long, it's just a short sentence, but it holds incredible importance in its statement. The first reality we must see with humanity is that every single one of us is made in the image of God after Adam and Eve. They are made, Adam and Eve are made in the image of God. And so therefore, as each one of us, a descendant of Adam and Eve, made in the image of God, each one of us carries with us that image bearing. We are made in the image and likeness of God. And as a result, every single one of us has inherent dignity and value and is worthy of respect and honor and dignity from every one of us. The Imago Dei uh, can be a very deep dive. Like, I mean, if, if you want to um, get together with me sometime and just talk about the, the doctrine of what it means to be in the image and likeness of God, I mean, you can really, I mean, what does it mean that we are made in God's image? We are an embodied soul, and there's something about us that is in the likeness and in the image of God, and it has to do with our ability for rational thinking, our ability for worship, all sorts of things. We could go really deep in the Imago Dei, but what the, the main application of this doctrine in being made in the image of God is that Every single one of us made in the image of God and is therefore deserving of equal dignity, of value, and of respect. I mean, the main place this comes from is just right at the start of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, which is the exact language that it uses there. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, this is on the sixth day of creation. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You hear the familiarity there between that and Psalm 8 where the psalm writer is talking about how God has given him dominion over all these things. That's this, that's this command out of Genesis chapter 1, God making Adam and Eve in his image and likeness, male and female, he made them. You are beautiful simply by being human. Now, like it a bad rap. People say, show up and they say, Darren, all Darren ever says is negative things. Did you hear what I just said there? You are beautiful simply by being human. That may, that's, a pos that's a positive statement for me, okay? Just, I want you to write it down. Make a note if you're making notes. Darren said something nice about me. I, you are beautiful simply by being human. There is something absolutely unique about humanity that is unlike anything else in the world. You are made in the image and likeness of God. 
You have the, the fingerprints. You are the representation of God. When God made the world, he set apart humanity as distinct and pronounced a blessing upon that humanity. We are not just mere animals in this world. We are not like the fish of the sea. We are not like the beasts in the field. We, we are humans. We are made in the image of God. We are as glorious as even a sunset is. And boy, did you see the sun yesterday? Like for hours as it was rising. And Patty and I saw it. We were, she was out walking. With the, the hours, the sun was this weird little orange globe, I suppose because of the, the clouds and the smoke or whatever. But it just looked, it looked amazing. As amazing as sunrises and sunsets are, it is nothing compared to the glory of humanity. God made us in his image and likeness. We specifically made in the image of God have a unique capacity to glorify God, every single one of us. It does not matter your ethnicity. It does not matter your gender it does not matter your material, your mental abilities, your physical abilities. No matter if you are well off or if you're barely scraping by, every single individual is made in the image and likeness of God and deserving of dignity, honor, and value. And this is important today. I don't have a, get a chance to say things like this, but this is important today. You shouldn't have to say, but racism is sin. Looking down upon someone because of their ethnicity is sin. Hating someone or disparaging someone just because they have a different view from you is sin. We are all made in the image and likeness of God. Devaluing a life because it is different from yours, either by gender, ethnicity, by occupation, by mental capacities, by physical disabilities, something like that, devaluing another life that is different than yours simply because of that reason is sin. We are image bearers of God. God made us in his image and likeness. Adam and Eve, and we all come from them. So God, he makes us all equal in dignity and value with one another, but he also makes us with differences, and those differences are good things. Those differences are good things. He made us male and female. Now, this is controversial, which it shouldn't be today. It shouldn't have to be said. It's never had to be say, said, um, hasn't had to be said for the past 8,000 years of known history. But we live in a world today, so we have to say it, that being male is good and being female is good. Equal but distinct. Both of them deserving, made in the image of God, deserving of value and, and, and deserving of honor and, and of equality and respect, but yet different. God established the gender binary. He established the gender binary for human good and for human flourishing. They are equal in value and dignity and deserving of respect, but yet clearly different and distinct from one another in many ways. And as part of the beauty of God's diversity in creation, and as such, it is to be enjoyed and celebrated, made in the image of God. All of humanity enjoys the status of Imago Dei. We are made in the image of God. Male and females, our first parents, Adam and, Eve's, Adam and Eve, following after them, made in the image of likeness of God. But we haven't answered the question. We spent all that time... <laughs> 
I mean, now haven't answered the question, what's wrong? <laughs> Thanks, Darren. I'm glad, you know, I, I tried to be real positive. And, and, you know, you're made in the image and likeness of God. You have inherent dignity, value, and worth. But what's wrong? What's wrong? How do you diagnose the problems in the world around you? We are as beautiful as we are. When, when Adam and Eve chose rebellion there in the garden, Genesis chapter 3, when they chose rebellion, as beautiful as we are, we now, as a result of that rebellion, we are broken. The, the image of God has not been totally erased, but it is broken. It has problems. The image of God has become broken and tragically by our own hand. Adam and Eve rebelled, sin entered the world, and now as a result of our union with Adam, our federal head, every one of us as descendants are born by nature a sinner. How do you diagnose the problems in the world around us? Our modern thought process has many reasons why people are the way we are and truly we're complicated people. I mean, if you ask why someone does a certain thing, there might be 15 answers to that question that have led up to this particular decision, right? There could be all sorts of factors that make us do the things that we do. We are complicated people. But at a core level, the answer is really simple and universal. The problem is man is a sinner. Man is a sinner, we have this first and primary problem in our lives. We are in rebellion against our Creator by nature and by choice. We are not merely wounded people. We are not merely hurt people. We are not merely angry. You know, you'll hear the saying, hurt people hurt people. Well, that's true, but that is never the core of the problem. There's something deeper. We're not merely angry people. We're not merely sad people. Sinful, sinful is the Bible's diagnosis of us. Because of this, not only are there wrong things going on in the world, because we are sinful people, not only are there wrong things going on in this world, there's serious conflict between us and our Creator, right? If we only see the problem with humanity as one that makes trouble for us in this life, we are misreading the, the severity of the situation, as this doctrinal statement goes on to affirm, because of this sinfulness, we are alienated from God and under His wrath. This sinfulness not only ruins the world around us, but this sinful actually, sinfulness actually alienates us, separates us from God, and puts us under His wrath. That now because we failed to meet this standard, this condition, now that we failed, there is punishment, there is judgment coming our way. So to close out this morning, we're going to look at Romans 5. Romans chapter 5 and the end there of this chapter, which contrasts these two um, types, Adam and the second Adam. We'll talk about who he is. Adam, the first Adam, our father, that, dove, that, that led us into sin, and the second Adam. I'm seeing to figure out who the second Adam is. This first Adam, we're going to spend the rest of our time here, but in this section, Paul crushes us with the depth of ruin that our union with Adam has brought us. This is the reality. In Adam, all die. In Adam, all die. I'm going to pick and choose as we look through here, but starting in verse 12 of Romans chapter 5, 
Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that being Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. So death is, sin is obviously still there because death is happening. Death reigned from Adam, and, from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So there's, we know sin exists because death exists. Man is dying, therefore man is sinning. As long as man has been sinning, man has been dying. As long as man has been dying, it's because man has been sinning. Verse 15, uh, we would pick and choose as we go through here. Verse 16, uh, the judgment, middle of judge, middle, middle of uh, verse 16, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. 20, the law came in to increase the trespass. Verse 21, sin reigned in death. That is the reality of the sinful, of the human condition. Because of our union with Adam, we all have inherited a sin nature and are by nature condemned and under the wrath of God. That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 lays out for us. It says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is the frightening reality that stands before every image bearer of God. Fearfully and wonderfully made, right? The psalmist talks about fearfully, yes, is what we discussed. Fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Yes, and absolutely fearfully and wonderfully made, but frightfully and wrathfully opposed due to our sin. Fearfully and wonderfully made, frightfully and wrathfully opposed by God because of our sin, the human condition. Now, one of the reasons why I like this doctrinal statement is how gospel-centered it seeks to be. If that's the end of the story, I don't even want to go home. I just want to lay down and just, it's, it's done. That's not the end of the story. This is not the final word on our human condition. This is the truth that must be seen. As hard as it is, a reality that must be confessed, but it is not the final word. It's not the last word for all of mankind. Just as in union with Adam, death comes to us, and Adam all die, union with Christ brings life. In Adam all die, in Christ all will be made alive. Everyone found in Christ will be made alive. That's what we skipped over there through the reading of Romans chapter 5. Sin comes in. Verse 15, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. Judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses. It was one sin from Adam brought death to us all, but then we all went and marched off humanity for the rest of the remainder of history, marches off into sinfulness, following many trespasses, the one righteous work of Jesus Christ, the free gift, following many trespasses, brought justification. For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore... As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. The law came in to increase the trespass where the sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Adam all die, in Christ all will be made alive. That's not a statement of universality. It isn't that everyone is going to be saved. But what it is saying is that all who look to Christ, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what their history is, no matter how bad they've been or how righteous they think they've been, all who come to Christ, all who come to Christ will live, will be made justified, made righteous in the eyes of God through faith in Christ. As our doctrinal statement says, through Christ, we can be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. Though we are born with a nature that is at war with God, we can be born again. You know that phrase, born again Christian? We can be born again with a nature that seeks to please God. Here's how the doctrine of the human condition guides us. First of all, we know that everyone is deserving of our care and concern as an image bearer. The doctrine of the human condition matters. We're made in the image and likeness of God because it is the foundation by which we look out at the world and know that every individual, no matter if it's a orphan suffering in some uh, difficult place, or if it's a CEO who's got it made, we think. They all deserve our care. They all deserve our love. They all deserve our compassion. They all deserve our respect because they are an image bearer. So the doctrine of the human condition guides us. We know that everyone is deserving of our care and concern as an image bearer. But secondly, we know that everyone has a major problem coursing through their veins, sinfulness. That helps us diagnose the world around us. Okay, I, I know what's going on. I, I can see it. I mean, I know every issue that goes on around there, but I know the root of where all that fruit is coming from. And the root is this rebellion, this sinfulness, this root of sin in every man. It helps us diagnose those around us, and it also helps us understand the war within us. You might think it's just a tool for everybody out there, but it helps you understand yourself. I've got a major problem. I've got this old man. If I'm, if I'm a new believer, if I believe in Jesus Christ, I'm at war with this old nature. Is that this old man is at war with, with God. Is at war with me, the new nature. There's this sinfulness that has to be put to death. Helps us diagnose those around us and it helps us understand the war within us. But the doctrine of the human condition guides us 
because it also helps us know that we are not without an answer. We are not without a true hope. Where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. Where Adam failed, going into the garden, choosing rebellion, sinfulness coming to the world, Christ comes to the wilderness, resists the devil, resists Satan, fulfills all righteousness, lives the perfect life, glorifying God, and then endures the cross as an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation, bearing the wrath of God, though he didn't deserve any, as a substitute in our place, so that all who had looked to Christ, trusting in him, forgiven of their sins, made righteous, rescued, reconciled, redeemed. Where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. Where we have joined Adam in our rebellion, through faith in Christ, we can join him in reward. You've joined Adam in the rebellion. The question is, will we join Christ in his reward by looking at Christ and trusting in him? Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see this. It is a doctrine that is humbling to have to admit, I don't have it together. I'm not my own rescuer. I'm not my own hero. In fact, I'm, I'm the villain of the story of my own story. <laughs> what I need is a rescuer. And Father, I pray that we would see that. I pray we would face it head on for this reason. God, I thank you there is a rescuer. That though I did join Adam in his rebellion, in Christ, I can get reward because of what he has done. I pray, Father, you give each one of us hearing this this morning, ears to hear, eyes to see, and the fruit of faith in our hearts, repentance, trusting in Christ, that we might know and rejoice in all that Christ is for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.